Welcome to Gen Z Hoops. The Gen Z Basketball Coaching and Sports Business Show. On this podcast, you'll learn from professional players, coaches, and executives from all over the world and see the court in a brand new way. And now, joining you courtside, your Gen Z host, John Hartafillis. Coach Lewis, what's going on? Hey, good to see you, man. Good to be on. I appreciate you having me on. I'm happy to be here and uh, anytime. I'm so happy to have you on. And I know your, your story is such an interesting one. I'm so many years being just being around the game. I'm really excited to kind of jump right into that right now. Just to get us started, obviously, right, I'm sure everyone, when they first meet you, they ask you about the NBA coaching experience and all this stuff. I want to know, like, back, I want to know the real coach, Larry, like, not even coach Larry Lewis, the real Larry Lewis, back in the day before you were a coach, before you were a player, what kind of got you in, to fall in love with the game of basketball? Well, I was playing, I played since I was really, really young from Los Angeles. So, you know, those days, you know, there, there was travel ball and all that, but we, we used to just be in the park every day, all day and, you know, recess and in school and elementary and junior high and all that. And I ended up, I actually graduated from LA high and I was about six, three, about 185 pounds. I wasn't recruited heavily at all. And I ended up going to Morehouse in Atlanta. And those first two years at Morehouse, I grew three inches. And so during those two years, I was, I I was just a student and actually uh my godfather ronnie kilgore took me around the parks in atlanta and we play and he, he beat me up and i i need to get tougher so then i walked on to the team i was wow. six I was about, yeah i was about six six at the time and those two years with with my godfather and you know the kilgore family in atlanta man they they, they fed me his his wife shirley kilgore my godmother fed me and he was taking me out and uh, their son uh i met through my roommate uh, and there he was from atlanta and so his name is sharon kilgore he, he they really that family took me in man and i'm forever grateful for that and so then i walked on and played earned a scholarship in morehouse and uh, played 19 years overseas professionally so but those two years, man, was really important. Family really took care of me. That's the importance of right having strong, strong support system, and also right, mm -hmm. also like, never give up on that passion. Right, you could have easily been like, you know what, I'm not playing these two years. Let's let's hang it up. And then 19 years of pro basketball would have never happened. Right, imagine right. That, that's a terrible. True, true. So I mean, once you got on the team, earned a scholarship, even like that must have been exhilarating. How did that maybe set up? like the, the rest of your time in college and then also to, for you to even think about playing professionally. A guy that didn't even play his first years of college is now thinking, I'm going to go overseas. How did that work? Yeah, yeah, because I thought it was thought it was over. Still would play and still love the sport. But before I graduated, I went and played professionally in the Dominican Republic. And I think when that happened, I was like, this is something that can 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 turn into a professional career. And, and now I had a sense of purpose, a deeper sense of purpose, actually, and took it a lot more serious. I took myself more serious and started to believe and then played in the summer leagues and ended up in the CBA and played for Eric Musselman with the South Dakota Thrillers. Um, and then, you know, played overseas. And uh, Cyprus was my first uh, job overseas. And then from there, I played in Japan for five years and then, you know, ended up in Spain and Argentina and actually played in the Pan American Games in 94 for, for America. So it just be, it's, it started to become really, really real. And, and so it just, you know, when, when God says it's not over, it's really not over. <laughs> He's got plans for us, you know. 
Yeah. And you lived out those plans and saw them through so many awesome overseas stops. The one that I thought was super cool was your stop in the CBA, maybe a few years before it became, eventually became the G League. That, like, that's, that to me is, is so cool. I haven't really spoken to many people. I spoke, I talked to so many coaches from the G League, but very few uh, that were in the CBA, let alone in both at one time. So what was that maybe like, what was, if you can give us a little bit of your impression of the CBA when you first got there, and I'm sure it might have changed so much since then. Well, there was there were a lot of uh, NBA guys, ex NBA players there, and the the caliber of talent was just extremely, extremely lifted. I mean, there were a lot of high caliber players, and guys would come and go, and guys that you would have seen in the NBA a couple of years ago, they were you're now playing against them, and you're like, wow, this this guy can really play, and you're on the same stage as them, and it's just it was really challenging, very serious competition, uh, serious talent level and learned a lot so that was a, a really 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 inspiring experience and uh, you know if you can survive in the cba you kind of you look at yourself differently because that's a that's a big time challenge big time i can imagine right I mean, going from there to playing overseas you had a couple you know, one year two years since in a few countries but you stayed in in japan and spain for a combined 14 years right spain uh, japan for four spain for 10 what did you like so much about either of those countries that made you stay there long for a while I I drew a lot in Japan. So nice. Japan is I turned thirty in Japan, nice. and uh, you know it was like you're in a it's like a it's like a, a brand new planet. Really, the culture there is so different, and and so I was far removed from what I was accustomed to, and uh, it grew me in a in a very serious way. Matured a lot, and then when I ended up in Spain, uh, I developed some some professional habits uh, that I took with me to Spain and was able to uh, enjoy the career in Spain for 10 years. I, I have a soft spot in my heart for Japan because, because of that growth spurt mentally, spiritually I had there. And I think it prepared me for marriage as well. My wife and I celebrated 19 years uh, in June. And uh, I think Japan really had me focus on myself in ways that is not that easy when you're in a place of familiarity. Uh, but when you're in a place of unfamiliarity, uh, you you have to deal with yourself and you have to be really, really uh, intimate with your time and, and connect with yourself. And that's what happened there. It's fascinating how you can take a step away from basketball and there's so many life things you can learn from all these stops, right? I mean, everyone, right, just maybe jumps to the basketball and how many points did you average when you were there and stuff like that. But there's some real life stuff happening at all these different stops you had, uh, which I find super cool. You also, you played very deep into your thirties. Like, like, how, like, how did you sustain it for that long? What kept you going to get to year 16, 17, 18, 19? I met a, a gentleman by the name of Wayne Albert when I was, when I tried out for Albany Patroons, this was in like 92. Oh, wow. And he couldn't work with me because he worked, he was exclusively connected to an agent and that agent was not representing me at the time. So we ran into each other the end of my stint in Japan. And I started working out with Wayne. He trained players. That's what he did in, in Waltham, Massachusetts. And so at this time, he was not exclusively connected with the agent anymore. But the funny thing is that that agent was now my agent. <laughs> so so anyway, we started working together and I had like tight Achilles tendons problems and, and things like that. So training with Wayne 
Albert and his brother, Keith Albert, I got into flexibility and flexibility really combined with weight training uh, and combining with those workouts with them in the off season, they got my body really together. And um, that has a lot to do with how long I was able to play. You know, my parents, they exercise every morning pretty much. So I was, I was really, um, I get a lot of discipline from my upbringing, from both of my parents, and um, all of that combined with uh, the will and desire to to go to the highest I can go. Training with those guys in in in, in Waltham, Massachusetts, the se- off season after off season, it it really fueled the longevity of my career. It's incredible, it's definitely such a wealth of experience in all those years, and going you know into those later years. I'm sure you take more of a, of a veteran's role. Uh, maybe even going on the coaching makes more. I mean, did you always know you were going to coach? Or maybe once you got to like year 19, you were like, you know what? Maybe this is my next chapter. I never knew what I was going to do after basketball. And like I said previously, when I played for Eric Musselman in the CBA, he happened to be the head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers G League team when I retired. So it was, the, it was, it was preseason. I had just retired. It was around... October is about a month before my birthday, November 14th. So I turned 40 that year and uh, I called Eric and um, he didn't have a spot, but uh, he called me back and said, you know, how long would it take you for you to get to the gym? So I went to the gym, the, the Lakers facility, and he said, okay, after practice, I want you to take, take the team through some shooting drills. And so I did that. And then it, position was created. And from there, I was hired as head of player development for the Lakers NBA team, uh, basically for Kobe's last three years, and then ended up in Sacramento and then and now with Santa Barbara. So cool. And you, you know, you're good at something when it's just like, hey, show us something. And then, okay, let's make a new spot for you. That's when you know you're good at something. And I'm sure you have a lot of skills, in, in specifically basketball related. But I told you this before we got on that when I Googled your name, all that came up under videos was just videos of you mic'd up. So I'm guessing every time the NBA camera crew comes in, they're micing you up. Um, what, what is it about you that I think all these camera guys keep on micing you up? You know, I, I think what's, in, what's important to me is connecting to the player and not really doing what I see other people doing, but staying in tune with what I feel is needed for that player. I know there are a lot of people who, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but they mimic what other coaches do and they mimic what other, you know, trainers do, whatever. And that's fine for them. But I think it's an also important if I'm going to coach to have my own mind and to have my own creativity. And when I approach any player or any team and uh, improving, improving their skill set and, and sharing the dream with them. So uh, maybe it's that kind of passion that they feel or never ask that question. But uh, now that you point that out, it's hard for me to say, but I can tell you what my approach is. And that may, that may have something to do with why it's always been uh, something that has happened. I love it. Having that connection with with players and, and showcasing that passion is definitely something that's going to have people taking notice, but also, right, but, but make it something that it's a huge skill set for you to have and it makes players better. Um, that's yeah. evident to when you were with the LA Defenders and you guys got won the D- Development Champion Award for, right, and I looked this up because I hadn't really heard of it too much before, but for embodying G League goals of developing talent via call-ups, right? That's something that there's always a G League championship, but that's not so much as the real goal of the G League is to, is to get players to live their dream in the NBA. So you yeah. guys had eight call-ups that year while having a really impressive record, like how did that happen? 
we were really dedicated to the before and after practice development. We had, we had a nice set of players as well. The coaching staff really understood that, you know, the big picture here, of course, we wanted to win games, but we wanted the players to, to go as high as they could. And that took a, a lot of dedication and it took a mindset because while as coaches, we want to, we want to help in every way we can. We also had to encourage them to dedicate to helping themselves as well. Uh, we couldn't want it more than they did. And I think when players see how much you're into them and what you're willing to do for them and the sacrifices you make, they kind of feel obligated to at least match that sacrifice or match that energy. The good ones do. And I think that's what happened that year. Awesome thinking about that and how players were responsive and and really took it seriously to get to that next level and get those call-ups. Because so, eight is eight is unheard of. And I thought that was, when I saw that number, I, I was like, is it eight real like call-ups or is it eight like kind of call-ups or maybe some of them, <laughs> maybe some of them, right. or is the guys get, what does that mean? I was that's yeah. really cool thinking about that. And who are some of those, or those guys maybe that, that you've seen, right, really work hard, get called up and, and, and excel maybe once they got there or, or that maybe you never thought would get called up, but they worked really hard and they did that. Yeah, well, Gerald Green was on that team. There were there were a few other players that actually ended up overseas. So like the, the call-ups were, were great and that's a big deal, right? But the ones that ended up overseas, you know, those are success stories as well. But I think Gerald Green is the biggest name that, that I can think of uh, from that team. As far as the ones that were, that was there, like he kind of stayed almost to the end. I think when playoffs started, he, uh, I think he went to uh, New Jersey and then he stuck, he stuck the, the, the longest. Courtney, Courtney Fortson, he also, he also did a, did, did a good job with us. He was one of those, you know, spunky little guards was tough-minded and there was no way you know he was gonna let up off the gas once he saw the environment that he was a part of and uh, what was a possibility with him i think those are the two biggest ones the other six uh, i'd have to look it up uh, being around all those players but eric musselman was really 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 good really good and he he gives his all to the players like he understands what it's all about for them and even as a player i played for him he wants you to to really show what you're good at there's a lane that we all have and and he 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 lets you see and define that lane and then that's what that's what he wants you to show and he encourages that that's a big deal too Definitely so much to say there in terms of right, uh, having the ability to, to showcase that and be able to, to do, make that experience happen for some guys. I'm curious then, like, well, you eventually did get your call up as well, right? Going to the LA Lakers I and mean, then going over to Sacramento Kings. Did, how, how did your role, you were a player development coach with the, with the LA Defenders. Did your role change at all? Or was that mainly, that was always your, your, your thing, player development? Yeah, I became, I became head of player development for both franchises, also an assistant coach slash scout. So, as a scout, there are two types of scouts in the, in the league, actually three. There are scouts on the team that, that scout other teams, other teams that we play against, yep. right? And so we go out on the road and we get the, the play calls and all that kind of stuff. There's also scouts that scout players within the league. So for example, if Orlando Magic is interested in a player from Detroit, right? There's a scout that scouts those players as well. There's also international scouts 
and college scouts. I was a scout under Byron Scott, so uh, slash assistant, meaning I would go out and, and uh, you know, scout the teams that we play against, send back the information, fly to the next city, and this was all ahead of schedule, meaning if we're going to play Portland Trailblazers February 3rd, by January 29th, made sure that the coaching staff had all the information we needed on, on Portland Trailblazers, right? So I was doing that. That's called an advanced scout. So that's what, that's what I was doing there. So it became head of player development slash assistant coach slash advanced scout. So there was a couple slashes in your title back then. Now as assistant coach at the college level, there's a couple more slashes, but it all comes kind of gets combined into assistant coach. So obviously, right, there's a lot more, whether it's recruiting, scouting, um, all, this, all this different stuff. What, what was that transition like for you going uh, to the college game and maybe being around that for, um, for the first time? The timing of the season is a lot different, and the whole recruiting aspect is, 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 is different. Uh, in the NBA and professionally, uh, in the G League, you're dealing with basketball. The guys come in, you work them out, you train them, you practice, you show them film, and that's it. Uh, in college, you're going to deal with uh, recruiting, parents, school, scheduling. There's just a lot of extra things that go on in college that, that just doesn't exist in, at the professional level. Where are the student athletes going to live? There are a lot of NBA players I work tightly with. Uh, some of them I met their parents, some of them I didn't. But most parents on our team, uh, there's some type of affiliation with. So it's a little more personable in college and, and extra responsibility, a lot more angles to making a program work. Definitely, right? So many, I mean, like, like you said, slash academics is a very under, you know, a very, a very dominant part of college athletics. It doesn't, it doesn't exist at all in the NBA. I'm so right. obviously there's so many more things to, for you to make sure you're keeping in tune uh, going to the college season. Um, what's maybe, what's your season look like this, uh, this year so far? How has maybe the summer gone for you guys and maybe this, this first, first month of the academic year? It went well. Post-COVID, uh, we were able to survive last year without any positive tests. We played the whole season. Um, wow, that's, that's incredible. I very, I very rarely hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was rare, but it was great to be able to finish the season and uh, make it to the NCAA tournament. This year, uh, we, we, we had to replace point guard off guard positions uh, due to seniors and Shakori McGoffin is with the Dallas Mavericks on a two-way contract, so that's good. Uh, DeVore Ramsey is um, pursuing his professional career. Those were two main components of our uh, winning season last year. And so we, we have a transfer point guard and an off guard. And we uh, just have to make sure we hone in defensively. Uh, it's been a good productive summer for us. We were able to work the guys out all summer during their summer school sessions. There were two of them. And uh, th today is actually our first uh, official practice day. You know, it, it, should, it should be good. And we, we have to commit to defense. So I, I didn't know I was catching the first day of practice. Did, did it already happen or is it coming up in the next few hours? No, it starts at about 2.30. Okay, you got to, I, I definitely want to hear all about it once, once you guys are done. I had no idea that yeah. was going to uh, So yeah. with that. So I, I'm guessing you mentioned that the defense is a big part of the practice. How are you going to go about that? Well, I think it all starts like working out with a, an individual player. It starts with a conversation. I think that once we have established a language, 
then we can grow from there. But we all have to speak the same language to begin with. And, you know, there has to be dialogue. There has to be a level of trust established. And, and then you just, you know, the buy-in and the effort and desire, that has to be evident every day. So we talk about it. We show clips. We're going to do that before practice today. Um, and it's just going to be an ongoing thing because the better we get, the more we'll want. I think when the players start to want it and really sincerely want it, I think that's when that's when we grow. It's definitely when special things happen. And, and you mentioned the communication being such a big aspect of it and having a team that's, that's really a, a combined unit. And it's definitely tough to replicate that when you when there's seniors that leave or guys that go on to get two-way contracts. But that's obviously incredible in the goal. Um, who are some of those? Like you kind of touched on two of them. Who are some of those guys that have made that step to the next level? And on, on the same note, who are some of those guys on the team now that we might be hearing that from soon? Yeah, Amadou So is is our center. He's a he's a serious talent. He should be a pro. Miles Norris is is pretty promising. He's about 6'10", 4 man. So he should be uh he should be interesting. That's a name to look for. Now we have some young kids coming up. Josh Pierre. He's actually from, from the East Coast. He transferred from Temple. He's one of the most athletic guards I've seen. Uh, he should be one to look out for as well. And then as, as our players start to grow and mature as they do in college, Calvin Wishart is a, is a transfer uh, out of Minnesota that, that is a, uh, a solid point guard for us. And, then, and all of these guys have to step up their game every day and every year and not wait till it's time to uh, either be a part of a, a professional roster or try out for a professional roster to, to start thinking like a pro. Uh, I think they should start thinking like a pro today and, and let everything else catch up to that later. And I, I just think it will make them better players. They'll be more responsible. They'll respect the sport in a different way and respect themselves in a different way. Such great advice, and it's awesome thinking about all that. Coach, I want to really thank you for taking the time to speak with me on the first day of practice. I didn't even know that until about five minutes ago. I'll be truly appreciative of you taking the time, and I can't wait to hear how this goes. And I'll be watching the season to see how you guys do. I'll, really, I'll be rooting for you guys and, and really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, man. I'm glad we can make this happen. And, uh, you know, hey, anytime. Let's do it. Thanks for listening to Gen Z Hoops. Make sure to follow, like, and subscribe on Instagram, LinkedIn, and all major social media platforms at Gen Z Hoops. You can tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and every other podcast platform on the planet. Get ready for the next episode.